Hey, good to see everybody. Uh, so we're starting a new series. The next slide, please. It's called Tough Questions, God's Answer. And good question. Okay, good. All right. So uh, I want to explain why we want to do this. Because uh, not because um, I have a lot of questions that I can't answer myself. But one of the reasons I really want to do this series is because I think there are some questions that we uh, have trouble answering in the Bible. And I think there is a way for us as Christians sometimes just kind of like, oh, well, it's too tough. Let's not tackle them. Or like uh, we just be simple-minded, just trust Jesus. Everything will be okay. And so for those of us who are believers, I hope that this series provide a way for you to really wrestle with some of the more difficult passages. Like honestly, I shared with my wife a couple of times this week. I was like, why did I choose this? I'm working twice as hard for a sermon because these are questions that, quite frankly, does not have a ultimate answer and we will see why later but god does leave them in the bible and i think as christians it will be dishonest and we will kind of continue that stereotype of christians being uh 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 blinded to reasoning blinded to to thinking to and and not investigate and wrestle with some of these uh difficult passages so that's one reason another reason why is because for some of us who are not believers here I hope that this will answer some of your questions about the Bible. Maybe you're thinking of questions like, man, like, they always talk about Jesus, they talk about death, but man, they never really come on the other side as a non-believer and answer some of those questions. I hope that the questions we chose will help you in, in exploring Christianity. And my hope and, and prayer is that you will these answers will lead you to, to put your faith in Jesus. So that's kind of why uh, we're doing it. And uh, just... I just want to share a verse with you from Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. It says this, The hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever, so that we may follow all the words of his law. The Bible is clear that not everything in the Bible is understandable by you and I as human beings. There are some hidden things. Like, no one knows everything about the Bible. The best of scholars, Christian scholars, does not know every single thing about the Bible. There are things that are hidden. And it says the things that are hidden belongs to God, but there are things that also reveal to us that we are responsible in mining, in wrestling, with gaining whatever that we can out of those truths. Because the reason is not for knowledge, because the verse says, so that the reason why is because so that you can follow the law. Follow the commands of God. So if we don't wrestle with some of these tough questions, we're basically saying, I don't need to obey these anymore. They're so tough, I don't want to understand it. I don't want to try to understand it. And so now I don't have to obey it. And as such, we give ourselves a free pass, an excuse of, oh, whatever. Like, there are some things that I understand, I obey. If I don't understand, I don't have to obey. But that is not the intent of God. But realizing, though, that there are tough questions. No doubt about it. There are questions that is not fully answerable, but can be understood to a certain extent, which I encourage some, all of us to, to hold this conviction that there are, as long as the scripture has something clear to say about it, we'll hold those convictions tightly. But let's say there are some things that we're not so sure that there are room, maybe not a primary issue, a secondary issue that maybe we can disagree with. So I'll say it up front that everything that I preach for the next month you will find a legitimate, Jesus-loving, God-fearing Christian that would have a completely different understanding of uh, compared to mine. And it would have been okay. 
Because the questions that we're going to tackle is not going to be one size fit all. The answer I give you is going to depend on some conviction and interpretation of the Bible. But my hope is it will give you a model how to wrestle with it. So when you read something from the Bible, you don't need to come to Ben and ask, Ben, what does this mean? That you know there is a guide for you to walk through how you can understand Scripture. Okay? So that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to pick a few uh, passages that are tremendously difficult. And, um, and today we're going to choose from 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, since we have already covered the main point of that bigger passage in 1 John. But before I talk about what is the sin that leads to death or the sin that does not lead to death, I want to show you the approach that we're going to do. And I think it will be useful for you in, on your own as you read through Scripture. Okay? Here's what we're going to do. There you go. Okay. You see this funnel right here. This is hopefully a tool that will, you can keep in your mind. How are we going to approach difficult topics or difficult passages in Scripture? You start off a funnel, starts with really wide. And what I want you to remember is this. You start with what you know for sure. What the Bible says for sure about this topic. What you know without a doubt that this is what the Bible says about this particular category or topic. Use that to apply into a smaller passage, a smaller, uh, smaller, more difficult passage. So you know what's, what, what you know for sure is real, is true about the, what the Bible says about this topic. Then you start accumulating those passages to understand the one passage that is difficult. That's what we're going to do. We have a passage very difficult. What is the sin that leads to that? What is the sin that does not lead to that? But first, we're going to take a look. What does the Bible say about sin? things that we know for a fact that's what the bible says about sin then the another thing is we're going to take a look at the whole scripture the all of the bible that we're not just going to look at first john and just flip through first john and try to understand what john is saying that is important but the bible is 66 books with the same message about jesus christ god the father and holy spirit it is about the whole gospel of jesus coming on earth and how do we understand in the big picture as we understand that little passage that we will about to, to approach. So that's kind of what we're going to do, okay? So what I would like to do is I want to show you the verse that we have already read in two versions. Because I want to show you that even in your English Bible, there are some decisions made already for you about how to understand this passage. That is why it's important that you think and study Scripture for yourself. So here's the passage that we're going to look at, right? First uh, John chapter 5, verse 16. I'm going to read it in CSB, and then I'm going to read it in NIV again, okay, so you can see on the screen. And I highlighted the word that I want you to pay attention to when I read in a different version. Got it? Okay, just look up the screen. Don't look at your Bible, because you're going to miss that. Okay, look up the screen. Okay, ready? Here's what it says. Verse 16. If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that does not lead to death, he should ask, and God will give life to him to those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that doesn't lead to death. Now I'm going to read an NIV for you, okay? Earlier, the terms is a fellow believer. Here's what it says in NIV. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and that God will give them life. I refer to those whose sins does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. 
If you pay, pay close attention earlier, the first version we read in the CSB, which is you guys use an orange Bible, that's what we've been using. It says a fellow believer. Without a doubt, whoever translates that passage in CSB is saying it is a sin that a Christian commit. He's talking about believers, Christians, a fellow believer. Now, if you go to NIV, it's not as defined. It says a brother or a sister. Now, obviously, I don't think he's talking about a physical, like, like relational brother and sister. Uh, in fact, in 1 John, if you remember, John actually used the term brother or sister not only for Christians. He even used it on those who thought they were Christian and eventually left Jesus and not Christian. So in NIV, it seems like we just know that they might be Christian, might not be Christian. But if you read through CSB, basically you're reading that verse, whoever, it says, if anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that does not lead to death, automatically you're reading that assuming that sin that does not lead to death is a believer, belongs to a believer. Right? So even the, in these interpretation and translation of the Bible, it builds in some biases in these difficult passages, okay? So, now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you my hand on what I believe as I study Scripture, what a sin that does not lead to death is. Then, what I'm going to do is show you how I get to that point. And I'm going to give some application for you as far as this passage, okay? Uh, again, I'm not the authority of 1 John. I'm not author authority for anything at all, okay? So, I'm not a scholar, but I'm doing my best this week the past two weeks to study this passage of scripture, and I want to show you what I think as I study the scripture, the sin that does not lead to death is, and conversely, what is the sin that leads to death. The main trouble with this passage is this. We need to define what is the sin and what is the death. Is it a sin, like one particular sin, or is it a category of sin? Does it lead to physical death, like if you sin today, Parents, but, uh, lightning and thunder is going to hit you, and you're dead? Or are we talking about spiritual death, eternal death, eternal damnation in hell? What are we talking about? What kind of sin? What kind of death? And that's the things that we're going to wrestle with today, okay? So now let me give you the answer from the beginning, just in case you fall asleep, while everyone is still awake right now. So the, what I understand, the sin that does not lead to death is this. If you're filling in the blank. The sin that does not lead to that, according to what my understanding is, is that the sin that we are capable to confess and repent from, uh, from by the grace of God. The sin that we are capable to confess and repent by the grace of God. What I, let me explain a little bit. What I mean by that is any sin that you as Christians commit that you are able to confess and to repent, those are the sins that does not lead to death. So what I'm, what, let me make it even more clear. This is a sin that only Christians commit. Because as a Christian, you have the ability to confess and to repent. By the grace of God, you as a Christian given this ability to confess and to repent. And we will see that. And I'll show you how. How did I come up with this conclusion? But basically, that's what it is. Uh, but applying the, the approach I told you earlier, we're going to start with what we know about sin. So what do we know about sin? Here's a couple of things we know. First thing we know about sin is this. The first thing we know about sin is that all sins are wrongdoing against God. We see that in verse 17 right off the bat. All unrighteousness is sin. 
All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. So it doesn't matter what small sin you committed, big sin you committed, all sins are unrighteousness. Unrighteousness, therefore, is against God. A white, clean piece of paper if with one dot in there is still dirty. A bigger dot is dirtier, but a small dot is still dirty. And while I was preparing this sermon, I happened to come upon this illustration, a very personal illustration, because one of my kids, while I was preparing my sermon, came to talk to me, and I realized that he had peed in his diaper. And we've been trying to help him to uh, be potty trained and not pee in his diaper. And so I realized that he peed in his diaper. But then I asked him, did you pee in your diaper? You know what his answer was? Just a little bit. It's not that much. I asked him again, did you pee in your diaper? No, it's not that much. It's just a little bit. Well, the question is, did you pee in your diaper? The, question, the answer is what? Yes. So I said, what if I squeeze that pee and put it on your bed, put it on your head? Would you do it? It's just a little bit. It's not that much. Well, what do you think his answer was? Of course no. Right? See, any sin is sin, is sin, is sin against God. And so some people understand sin that leads to death by category. Like if you commit a murder, if you committed adultery, if you committed these big old sin, then it must lead you to death. In fact, if you are uh, familiar with Catholicism, Roman Catholic Church, they have two t- categories of sin. One is called venial sin, which is like minor sin. Kind of like you, you know, you, you play hockey, you know hockey, there's a minor penalty. But then there's also major penalty. Those are called mortal sin in the Catholic Church. But as we look at Scripture, all sins are sins. They are all unrighteousness, and they are all against God. So we know that for a fact. From Scripture, it's clear. Every sin, small and big, just a little bit or a lot, are all sins. And we also know this. All sins result in eternal death. Romans 6.23, in fact, the whole book of Romans, the first part of Romans, tells us the penalty of our sins. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal damnation, separation from God, that type of death. And so if there's one sin, eternal separation from God, many sins, eternal separation from God, all wages of sin is death. And we know that. And here's the third one. We know that all sins are wrong against God. All sins result in eternal damnation and separation from God. Here's the last one. The one that's a little more personal. All of us have sinned. All have sinned. There is a verse in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's the problem. Not all of us think that we've sinned. Just like my, 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 my son at home said, just a little bit is not really sin, Right? But the scripture holds us against the perfection of Jesus and said, no, one little sin is sin. In fact, that's what sin is defined. You're missing the mark. You're missing it. You can try to throw the dart as much as possible. You will never hit the bullseye because you and I are sinners by nature and all of us fall short the glory of God. And if all three of these things are true from the scripture, there's only one Result. All have sinned, all sins against God, and all sins result in death. That means all of us 
me included, particularly, especially me, deserve to have eternal death in, in, in hell, eternal separation from God. That is what we all here are destined to be at. So is John saying something that is contrary to that? Well, what is John making a sense here? See, what sets Christians apart is not that we're not destined to go to hell and eternal death. What sets Christians apart is not that we are any good, that we don't deserve hell, that we deserve heaven. Let me take you to a passage. Speaking of using all of Scripture to understand a passage. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Many of us are familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Uh, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This not of yourself is a gift of God, not by work, so that you, no one can boast. We know that verse. We put faith in Jesus. Now we have eternal life. Great. But what I want you to notice is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. The timing of the result, what we just talked about, our eternal destination for all of us without Christ is this. Listen. Ephesians 2, 1. And you, he's speaking to Christians here. Notice the tense of the verbs. And you were, were, past tense, dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the rule of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out our inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also, nothing here that I've said are anything different from what I already shared with you about those three alls. We all sin, we're all messed up, we all sin against God, and we all deserve to be in hell and be eternally separated from God and eternal death. But here is what makes Christians different in verse 4. The very first word, it says the word, but. This, not B-U-T-D, I know you're sniggling there, but. But, like any time you see the word but in the Bible, you got to pay attention because there's something different. It says, but, yes, you're all going down the same track to this eternal destination of eternal death. But there is a change. What is the difference? God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. And pay attention to what it says there. You and I as Christians, if you claim to be a Christian, look at this verse. You did nothing. You know what you did? You received something. It says what? You are saved by grace. It's a passive thing. You received it. You got saved by it. You did nothing. And guess what? Who did all the work? God did. He was merciful. He was loving. He made us alive. He sent his son to die on the cross while we were dead in our trespasses. Yes, we're all on the road to hell, but God in his mercy and love rescued us. God did all of that, and all you need to do is in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we saw by faith, trust in him, and you are saved by grace. And so here's what I want you to get. As believers, going back to 1 John, you cannot sin so badly that will result in eternal damnation, eternal separation, eternal punishment in hell. That is simply impossible. 
Because you have been bought by grace, by, by the blood of Jesus, to have new life, eternal life. Which, oh, by the way, that is what John was saying the whole time in 1 John. To affirm you as believers that you have eternal life. You cannot have eternal death. Because you already have eternal life. So there is no way, literally, in hell that you can be in hell. Because there's nothing that you did in the first place to get you to heaven. And now when you sin, you cannot sin so badly that you will result in eternal death. God would not take away your eternal life and say, now you get eternal damnation. For Christians, that is simply impossible because God, what God had done, no one can take it back. And so as Christians, we can, that's why as we read this verse, we need to understand that this sin that leads to death does not apply to you and I. Which I think why CSB translates correctly says a fellow believer. Because you and I cannot commit sin that leads to death. Because you've been saved, you've been given life. Which is also the point that John is making in the whole book of 1 John is this balancing act of you as a Christian. Because if I ask you honestly to answer, those of you who are believers, have you sinned? You better raise your hand. Because that is what we have done as believers. We're not excused from sin. We're not, we're not be, living in a bubble wrap that we cannot sin. Can you go to the next slide, please? Because when we think of salvation, it is not that we have been only saved to eternal life. But we, that, that, that saving faith is continued acting upon you. Titus 2, 11, 12. I love showing this verse to people because most of us live in the Titus 2, 11 world and forget about Titus 2, 12. See, most of us love the gospel. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people like you and me. But the gospel doesn't stop there. It continues to work. What does it do? Instructing us to deny godlessness, deny sin, essentially. That's what a saving faith does. When God saved you to eternal life, that act of saving continues to teach you to say no. So every time when you sin, it's teaching you don't sin. And when you sin, you know what the Bible says? What First John says? You need to confess. You need to repent. You need to repent. And that's the, result of, of, that's the result of what God has done in your life, the gospel has done in your life. That's why, as a believer, we cannot sin that leads to death. If you look at the whole context of the book, John was not speaking non-believers. He was speaking strictly to believers. So if there is sin that does not lead to death belongs to Christian who sin, then naturally the opposite is true. The sin that leads to death can only be committed by non-believers. Because we already established that non-believers, since, by the way, before you were believers, you were on the same route, on the same track, in the same road, same trip to eternal death. And only non-believers can commit that sin. Can you go to the next slide, please? See, we're changed, but we're not perfect. That's the balance that John wants to make sure his re- When John was writing 1 John chapter 5, I believe in verse 16 and 17, he's making this very simple point. He's writing to the believers saying that you've been changed by grace, by salvation, but you're not perfect. And so what happened is, there is a balancing act of you're, uh, 1 John chapter 3 verse 9, everyone who has been born of God does not sin, 
because his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin because he has been born of God. We recover this verse. We're, saying, we're not saying, or John is not saying, that you can never sin. There needs to be a measure of victory in your life against sin if you've been saved by grace. Like if God's genuine Savior, you cannot say, like, man, I'm just the same thing. It's almost saying I give birth to someone, but that person is like the same person in the womb. When it, before it was born, when it was like just uh, like a, a, a cells come together. It's not once you gave birth. It's a different person. It's a person. It looks differently from the early part. So we have victory over sin, but you have victory over sin. It's not a perfect victory because John also reminds us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful, righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's calling believers to do that. So we cannot sin so badly that we can that lead to death because we, God, by the grace of God, his mercy is more by which is the reason why I chose that song. Our sins are greater. Uh, 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 our, uh, our, I forgot my, my word here. The chorus of that song says this. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. As believer, we will always be reminded by God. That is a sign of you being a believer. That you are able to confess. You're able to repent. The Spirit of God will cause in you to repent of those sins. And if you never do that, maybe you were never a believer. Maybe you were the one who had committed sin that will lead to death. Which is what John is saying. But, but look at verse uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 17. Go to the next one. Oh, here, right here. Go back. Sorry, 16. It says, there is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray. he should pray about that. John here is not saying, don't pray for non-believers. But John's focus of this letter is he was speaking to believers. He's saying, you as Christians need to repent. You as Christians more than repent on your own. You need to pray for one another's sin. There is a, an obligation as a church to pray for the, our, each other's sin. That was John's point. Because as believers, we still sin. And he's not saying, don't pray for non-believers. There are people who are non-believers who, who sins, that their sins will lead to death. Their sins will always lead to death. John is not saying, don't pray for them. Because we see in other parts of Scripture, God calls us to pray for non-believers. Paul prayed for non-believers, Colossians 2, uh, chapter 4, 2 to 4. Pray to open a door so I can declare and proclaim the mystery of Jesus for which I am in chain. Like Paul was in the prison for non-believers. So it's not saying don't pray for them, but what ultimately brings people, what, what, what ultimately the point that John was making is pray, especially as believers, pray for one another. Because we are people who have sinned, but that sin would not lead to death. So let me sum it up for us. So what does it mean for us? To, what does it mean to sin that does not lead to death? It is a sin that we as Christians committed, that we've been empowered by God to repent and to confess. We will never be able to sin, out-sin God's eternal life, out-sin God's grace in our lives. But for those of us who are not believers, every sin results in death. Just like before I came to know Christ, every one of my sins lead me to eternal death. I'm going to skip down to the practical part of this. And what does all, these all mean to us? If you are taking notes, I'll give you the answer for what precisely is the sin that leads to death. It's the persistent lack of love for one another. And the second one is this, the agape love that God has shown, uh, 
The second one is the denial of Jesus Christ. Denial of Jesus as the Christ. You're taking notes for that. But I won't, I won't have time to cover that today. But, um, but I want to jump down to the practical part because regardless of how you understand the sin that leads to death or the sin that does not lead to death, here's a couple of things that I want you to walk away with because we know these things are true. One thing we know is true and it should matter to you is this, that sins are lethal. Sins are lethal. And we must deal with them. And that regardless of your Christian or non-Christian, regardless of this sin lead to death or not. Because for those of us non-believers, if my understanding of this passage is true, and for sure Romans 6.23 tells us it's true, that the wages of sin is death, eternal death. And if you really believe that you have sinned, then sins are lethal. Not just in this world, but the world to come. But the good news is this, again, the word, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There is a way out of this eternal death. There is a way out of this eternal damnation in hell. There is this uh, a solution to the problem of sin. His name is Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in him, his blood washes away our sins, and we've been given new life, not better life, not a better version of our lives, but a new life. And so sins are lethal for you if you're a non-believer. But sins are also lethal for those of us who are believers. Because do not be deceived. I think that's the problem for many of us, myself included, is that day in, day out, we don't think we sin. Like we will say we sin, but we don't really believe that we sin. And we persist into the sin. And John reminds us, sins are lethal. Sins, you might not lead to death. It might not lead to eternal death for you, but it will surely hurt you. Like, do not let sin linger around thinking that you can deal with it later. What a precious promise that John gave us in 1 John 1, 9, that he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins, not only but to cleanse us. Don't walk around carrying around your sins around and think it's okay. Because they're not. They will only keep you away from God. They will only keep you from experiencing God. And God said, I've given you this ability to fight against sin. So how do we deal with sin? Here's the two, here's the two, two answers you have. Next one. The way to deal with sin is we need to confess we need to repent. Let me give you a quick definition. Confessing means you call sins of what it is. Sin. Wrongdoing against God. When David committed adultery by looking at Bathsheba and eventually marrying her, you know, when he prayed in Psalm 51, he did not say, I just happened to make a mistake. It was not just an accident. He said, I sinned against God. If you cannot call what you did as a sin against God, if you're not calling it what it is, then you are not confessing. You're just making yourself feel better. You're just trying to soothe your guilt. But not only do we need to call it what it is, we also need to repent from. Repentance means literally turning away. There are three things repentance means. Turning away, trusting. You need to turn and say, I don't want to sin anymore. I need to put this sin away and kill it. I also need to trust in Jesus. Of what he has done for me is enough. That what he, what he promised me is better than the sin that I have. And then I need to follow Jesus. You cannot just say, I don't want to do this anymore and not replace it with something else. 
It's like someone who is, who is struggling with, with, with eating. Like, I don't want to eat the bad food anymore. And just stay there. Diet only works is when you stop eating bad food and start eating good food. That's how it works. Repentance is not just say, I don't want to sin anymore, but you actually need to go and start living according to God's word. So confession and repentance. Here's the next one. Here's the last one. Not only sins are lethal, we need to deal with it. Here's an important one for us. We must commit it. We must be committed to pray for one another. We must be committed to pray for one another. That is not one thing that most of your small group are praying for. I guarantee it. That you're not, most of us are not ending our small group and say, what kind of sin are you struggling with? Let me pray for you. We're sharing, oh man, what, what do you need for school? How's family? Like those are all great things, but here is a command for us to pray and commit to pray for one another. John put it in his letter and said, you need to pray for one another. It's that big of a deal. Yes, your sin does not lead to death, but you need someone else to pray for you. Why? Because it says, when you, in you 1 John chapter 5, 7, 16, it says this, when you pray for one another's sin, you give them life. And you give life to the person next to you when they're wallowing in their sin. God used you to give them life. Let me end on this one. James 5, 16. Again, using another part of scripture for us to understand this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of righteous person is powerful in its effect. How are you going to pray for someone's sin if you never get into groups with somebody else? How are they going to pray for your sin if they never know your sin? And we don't love to share about our sin because it's just embarrassing. But if you don't share them, no one gets to know it, and no one gets your small group, your people around your brothers cannot pray for you. By the way, it says that it will hurt you. Why do we need to pray? It says so that you may be healed. You need healing. I need healing. Do not be deceived that sins will just let you let you indulge in it and doesn't affect you negatively in your life. It will always hurt you. We need to be healed, and that's not something we can do in our own. Here's what I want us to do as we end our service today. I wrote a prayer up here. I'm not big on, like, having us read the ver- uh, prayer out together. I believe prayer needs to be genuine, but I use this mainly because I want to give us a language and hopefully uh, a guide for you to pray for confession and pray for repentance. I don't know what kind of sin you are dealing with, what kind of sin that you're struggling with, but I know a couple of things. I know one is that sins are lethal, but I also know that from this passage, we are are called to pray for one another. So we're going to read this as a prayer together, so I'm going to ask you to stand, but as we pray this by reading out loud together, I want you not to just think about your own sin. I want you to actually pray this for one another. Like, you don't have to yell out the name. I'm going to pray for Ben's sins right there. You don't have to list them out. But let's be doers of God's word. God says pray for one another's sin. Let's pray for one another's sin. Otherwise, we'll walk away here. This message will mean nothing. So why don't we stand together? Let's stand together. We're going to pray this together. And as you pray, I want you to pray for the people in this room or some of them who are not here today. Pray for them. That we can experience healing from our sin.
James 5 says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And let's give life to one another. God could do it in many ways, but God chose you. God chose me to do it for one another. And we have great responsibility. We have a great opportunity and privilege to do that. So let's pray. One, two, three. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess that we have too often forgotten that we are yours. Sometimes we carry on our lives as if there was no God. We confess to you that sins have a grip on us. For these sins, we ask for your forgiveness and for your strength. Grant us reverent and humble hearts so that we may draw near to you, confiding in your grace and finding in you our refuge and strength through Jesus Christ, your Son. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's pray together.